lured, lured, looked at with a cold eye, seen without the illumination of belief. What is one to make of it? An ugly little town, its narrow, crowded streets lined with shops, crammed with souvenirs, all pious in intention, many, far too many, hideous in execution. Three ninety-five. It's about seven shillings then. About seven pounds. I think I'll um, I'll take that one. That one. Of... You can get it just holy water in the back too if you want. They are bigger, you see. It's innumerable hotels, brisk, efficient, racing the pilgrims through their four or five days with a business-like impersonality which adds nothing to the services paid for. The heat, the dust, the ugly buildings, the gaudy posters, the milling crowds. Surely there is nothing here to refresh, to inspire. It's just heaven on earth, Lord. It's a place of prayer and grace. That's my impression and experience of Lourdes. It, it, it's, you can't explain Lourdes. It's, no, you can't explain Lourdes. It's just wonderful. It's just beautiful. Lourdes, I think, is it's magnificent. It's, it's something that you must... You can't... It's true what they say. Words are written, won't describe it. You must see it. Uh, it's very hard to describe it. It's absolutely beyond description. You'd actually have to see it to believe it. It is really beautiful. A nursing sister and two invalids. And what they say is almost all that can be said about Lourdes, all that need be said. Shops, hotels, crowds, posters, heat, dust, commerce, vulgarity, they don't exist. They are there, they are inescapable, they are utterly unimportant. In Lourdes, only the sick and the suffering matter, and it's from them that this small, ugly, wonderful town takes its true character. They're wonderful in their courage and confidence in our blessed lady. They all feel better, and in spite of the fatigue, and some of those patients have not been out of their bed for years. Some of them haven't been out of doors for years. And they accept to be put on uh, stretchers, they accept to be put into the basin. They're quite happy. They accept sleepless nights. They accept their sufferings. And one very bad heart patient that I have, she said, what are my sufferings compared to that patient, that woman facing me? Oh, she said, I'll offer up my sufferings for her. She's much worse than I am. I'll forget myself and offer my sufferings for her. And that's our everyday experience. People come here to be cured, and when they arrive, they say, no, we won't pray for ourselves, we pray for other patients much worse off than us. after them.
also I'd like to say a special word about the Brancardiers. Uh, I mean, they're not nurses nor medical people. They're just ordinary citizens and they're ready to help the invalids. Doesn't matter what nationality they are, but they are ready at all times carry us along in the wheelchairs. The Brancardier are the male members of the organization known as the Hospitalité de Notre-Dame de Lourdes, a voluntary international organization which has been in existence since 1885. In that year, its rules were drawn up by the Bishop of Tarbes and Lourdes, and its constitution contains these words, which give in brief the spirit and practice of the organization. Members of the Hospitalité, the constitution says, render to all pilgrims, particularly poor pilgrims, such spiritual and material services as charity shall dictate and prudence permit. In accordance with the words of the Immaculate Virgin, they pray for sinners. They promise to live an edifying life, to say at least one decade of the rosary every day, and to devote themselves to the care of the sick. They are to be found everywhere in Lord, in the hospitals, at the baths, in the churches, at the airport, at the railway station, where we joined a group of them one morning to await the arrival of a big pilgrimage from Italy. Here they are, gathered round their leader for instructions and prayer. En ce premier jour, nous allons faire une prière, les uns pour les autres. Nous allons penser à tous ceux qui souffrent, à tous ceux qui ne sont pas présents, et nous allons surtout penser à nos grands et chers absents. Au nom du Père, du Fils et du Saint-Esprit, ainsi soit-il. Je vous salue. Marie, pleine de grâce, le Seigneur est avec vous. Vous êtes bénie entre toutes les femmes. Et Jésus, le fruit de vos entrailles, est béni. Sainte Marie, Mère de Dieu, priez pour nous pauvres pécheurs, maintenant et à l'heure de notre mort, ainsi soit-il. Notre Dame de Lourdes, priez pour nous. Sainte Bernadette, priez pour nous. Alors, messieurs, ceux qui sont désignés, allez, monsieur de la Sauta, sur le quai, pour l'équipe. station platform, some standing behind wheelchairs, some standing behind stretchers. There seem to be two different kinds of wheelchairs, one very plain and simple, one more like a proper invalid carriage. The stretchers are very lightweight canvas constructions which are carried on metal trolleys, equally light in construction and exceedingly manoeuvrable. Walking invalids are taken off the train by being placed on a small light metal chair which is kept in the corridor of the train. 
then on the platform they're transferred to the slightly more substantial one with the bigger wheels which can be maneuvered on the platform. These light chairs for travelling on the platform have only two wheels so that the invalid is slightly tilted backwards. Watching an invalid now being taken down from one of the berths in the train and placed on a stretcher. Again, as with everything I've seen this morning, this is done with a great efficiency and great smoothness. It's quite clear that the men who are doing this have been doing it for a very long time. They know exactly what they're doing. They give the invalid the least possible amount of disturbance. I'm waiting for the stretcher now to be brought from the train. I think it will come through the window. Yes, they're lifting the stretcher up to pass it through the window. I'm just waiting for this to happen. So far as I can see, there are just two men in the compartment handling the stretcher with the invalid. Just two of them. No, there is a third. The stretcher comes through the window. They're taking the very greatest care not to hit the invalid's head on the window as the stretcher comes through. It's a woman, she's smiling very happily. She seems almost to be enjoying this. The stretcher is being transferred now. No, the stretcher that's come from the compartment is placed on the ground. The invalid is being lifted from it onto a rather more substantial stretcher. Again, with great smoothness, no trouble. And now, this more substantial stretcher is just going to be placed on one of the trolleys. It is the trolley slides in under the stretcher, the stretcher is placed on it. The legs of the stretcher prevent it from sliding on the trolley and away goes the trolley. I'm just watching an invalid in one of the very lightest and most manoeuvrable of the wheelchairs being taken into the bus. This time they are not taking the invalid from the chair. They are lifting the chair completely right into the bus. And again it's done so smoothly. Perfect coordination on the part of four men. Now they have it in the bus and they're moving it down along. Once in the bus they are fixing it firmly, and the bus is moving off. That bus was destined for the Asile, the Asile de Notre-Dame de Lourdes, which stands in the domain of the Grotto. And here, other members of the Hospitalité, both men and women, wait to welcome the invalids and to direct them to their wards, each of which bears the name of a saint. <laughs> One of the nuns attached to the asile is Sister Patrick, who must be known to very many Irish pilgrims. Nothing is too much trouble for Sister Patrick, and there's nothing she will not do for anyone who asks her help. She gave us invaluable assistance, and only one of our demands really disturbed her that she should record an interview for us. In the end, she agreed even to that. How long is the asile in existence, sister? About uh, 40 years. And what brought it into existence? 
It was a shelter. It, yeah. it, it really came. It really came into existence after the first French national pilgrimage, I think, didn't it? Yes. Yes. When, am I right in saying that it's a hospital where the sick are housed and fed and generally looked after? Yes. And it's run by your order, which is the Sisters of Charity of Nevers. How many of you are there in the community here? We're ten. Just ten nuns. Yes. And you do all the work of this huge building. No, there's the hospitality. Volunteer hospitality for Lady of Lures. Do they, in addition to transporting the sick, dressing the sick, feeding the sick, do they do any of the cleaning of the building, the looking after it in that way? Oh, yes, they do everything. everything absolutely that, everything. Uh, absolutely everything. They don't cook the meals, do they? No, no. You have, I know, because I've seen we have it. Our, yes. A very we have fine our kitchen own staff with the stores for the kitchen, yes. And that kitchen can provide meals for how many? Over it will, a thousand. A thousand people. A thousand people. How many does the asyl accommodate now? How many sick? Seven hundred and eighty, present moment. On the sixth of April, we hope to have a hundred extra beds you're, because you're we're extending the asyl. Do you keep open all the winter? No, we close down in October, except for private patients that can't wait for a pilgrimage the following summer. Of course, we wouldn't refuse to take them in if it's necessary. What brings them to Lourdes, the sick? the afflicted, the suffering? Is it the hope of a cure, a miracle? We've got a wonderful patient. She's a young mother, she's 30. She's got four little children, and she is being despaired of with cancer. But she's so confident, she says that her blessed lady will cure her. And she has had part in all the ceremonies, and she really feels better. She really feels better, and her smile is continuous. Wonderful, yes. And when patients are not disappointed too sadly. The patients not are not at all disappointed. When the patients are getting ready to go away, they say, well, we'll come back again. We'll come back again. And when we ask them, what is your impression of Lord's what? Sister, it's just wonderful. It's heaven. People have told us before what Lourdes is, but we could not describe it. It's indescribable, Lourdes. We had no idea. Had I known, I'd have come years ago. And then we say to them, but it's been very tiring for you. No, no, sister. It's been lovely. It's been wonderful. We'll come back again. That is their reaction to Lourdes. You get a great feeling. You get a great, you get a great contentment in your, in your illness.
greatest moment of the day in Lourdes comes at four o'clock in the afternoon, the procession of the Blessed Sacrament. For this, the sick, like an army of supplicants, line the great square before the basilica, their stretchers side by side, hood raised to guard them against the sun. Behind them the wheelchairs, and all about, thoughtful for their comfort and welfare, brancardier, nurses, nuns. The air is full of prayer, the atmosphere tense with an inexpressible expectancy. The moments pass under the bright sky as they pass when one waits on the verge of a great joy. And at last the procession approaches, oh, most moving in its beauty and solemnity. Not the greatest sceptic could remain untouched by this moment, could resist the passion of longing and devotion that trembles in the air. Slowly it moves, slowly down the long line, and there's a hush and a stillness, and the mystery of Lourdes is a mystery no longer, and the many voices of Lourdes mix and intermingle and become one, one strong voice of hope and devotion, credo. I believe. is a moment of miracles, but miracles of healing are not accepted lightly in Lourdes. Such a claim is the object of most rigorous scrutiny. In 100 years, over 4,000 scientifically unaccountable cures took place in Lourdes. Of these, only 54 have been accepted as miracles. We never speak about miracles. These word miracle is not allowed it in the medical bureau, you understand that. The speaker is Dr. Newdin, General Secretary of the Medical Bureau in Lourdes. The bureau exists to investigate claims of cures. Its members examine invalid pilgrims on their arrival in Lourdes and satisfy themselves that they are in fact suffering from the maladies they claim. In this connection, Dr. Newdin insisted strongly on one point. I would like to say in a few words that uh, we accept at the Medical Bureau every doctor, even a non-Catholic, even atheist, because we want to be very uh, strong on the points we present. Even a non-Catholic can examine the patient, can take a part at the discussion, 
and even sign the report. That's, that is very important because you know that the report are sent to the International Commission and at that time everybody will know if somebody has disagreed because of one point and this doctor could be a non-Catholic. So you see we are very severe and very sceptic. Dr. Nudin explained the work of the Medical Bureau to me in considerable detail and when he had finished he said so you understand perfectly the processes? Yes. You first make sure that the patient is in fact suffering from the disease which he or she claims. Yes, that's correct. And if then there is a cure, you examine to make sure that the cure has taken place. That's correct, yes. You do not at all declare that it's miraculous. You will simply go so far as to say that it could not have happened by normal means. That's correct, yes. We, we want only to be sure of the diagnosis and to be sure of the cure. We haven't to explain by a miraculous way, but if we cannot explain by a medical way, we send it to the International Commission and after to the Canonical Commission. The International Commission is a medical commission. It is only a medical commission in Paris. And this commission has to explain or to say that she is not, it is not able to explain this cure. At that time, they sent the report to the Canonical Commission, not the Church at that time, you know, and only the Canonical Commission, the Church, has uh, the ability to say it is a miracle or it is not. Were there within recent years any Irish people cured here? I do not think so, you see. I do not remember. I have seen uh, cures, but not miracles, in Ireland, you see. And, of course, I cannot speak at the moment of Irish cures because... We have one record, you know, with Irish girl, but it is too soon to speak about. So I am sorry I cannot sing, say anything about this case. There is an Irish case under consideration at the moment. Yes, we have an Irish case, you know, and uh, I think we shall uh, examine again this girl for uh, the fourth time at Lourdes, certainly in uh, August. Thank you very much, Doctor. Thank you, sir. Bernadette Subiru would still be the little lost town it was 100 years ago. Lourdes without Bernadette is unthinkable. There's hardly a corner of the town which is not in some way associated with her or which does not, in one way or another, honour and keep fresh her memory. One afternoon we went with an Irish girl, Peggy Norton, who lives and works in Lourdes, to visit some of the many places in which Bernadette spent so much of her short life. We came first by a series of narrow streets winding up from the River Gave to the Moulin de Bolly, 
where Bernadette was born, a small house with dark, low-ceilinged rooms. Here on the ground floor is the mill at which the saint's father worked, still kept in its primitive condition and not easy to see because of the lack of light and the way in which it has been housed in to protect it from souvenir hunters. The most interesting room is on the first floor. This is the room where St. Bernadette was born. Here you have photographs of Bernadette herself, her father and her mother. Those are authentic photographs. There isn't anything in the room at the moment that belonged to Bernadette except just those photographs there. When she was ten years old, Bernadette left the Moulin de Bolly and moved with her family to a disused jail, the Cacho, in the Rue des Petits Fassés. We've come into the Cacho now. It's a one, just one room, a very bare room with heavy beams overhead, a stone floor, and there's a very small altar, which has now become a chapel, but it's very much now as it was in the days when Bernadette was living here. There's a notice, which I'll read. It says, this house was once a dungeon and has kept the name ever since. That is the name Cacho. Monsieur Sajou, who was related to the Soubio family, bought it from the town council, and out of pity for his cousins, who had reached the utmost depths of poverty, he accommodated them here. At the time of the apparitions, St. Bernadette's family had already been living two years in the one and only room which formed their house. St. Bernadette and her sister slept on the left-hand side of the altar, which is now in the room. Her parents slept on the opposite side, whilst her two little brothers slept in the corner under the window. It was from here that she went forth on February the 11th, 1858, to pick up wood down by the grotto and was to meet the Blessed Virgin for the first time. The wood she collected was burnt in this open fireplace. The flagstones, the overhead beams, the old door, the sink and the shelves are exactly the same today as they were at the time of the saint. Great graces and even miracles may be obtained in this place through the intercession of Saint Bernadette. Holy Mass is frequently celebrated on this altar. On the occasion of the Triduum in 1935, Cardinal Pacelli, acting as papal legate to Pope Pius XI, came and prayed here. Today, he is our sovereign pontiff, Pope Pius XII. From the Cacho, the Soubirous family moved to the house known as the Maison Paternelle. Here in the bedroom, there are many souvenirs of the saint photographs, drawings, paintings, and a baptismal robe embroidered by Bernadette and sent by her from the convent in Nevers for use at the baptism of her nieces and nephews in Lourdes. There is also a bed in which, according to a notice attached to it, the saint slept, but this, Peggy Norton told us, is doubtful. Yes, because uh, after Bernadette and her parents were evicted from the mill, they were moved to the Cacho. There they had no place to live except to sleep except uh, on straw on the floor. Afterwards then St. Bernadette went up to live at the hospice so that really she probably never slept on this bed because she never slept here in this house at all. We've come down now to the kitchen which is on the floor below the bedroom and it is several degrees colder. Outside the kitchen there's the mill. When the family moved to this house, the father was able to start work again as a miller. 
The kitchen we can't go into because there's a, a barred gate. We can look through into it. Uh, the floor, of course, is stone. All the floors we've been on have been stone. In the corner of the kitchen, there's the bed in which Bernadette's mother died. And it was here, was it not, that Bernadette came to say farewell to her mother? Yes, uh, she came down from the hospice to say farewell to her mother when she was leaving to enter the convent in the Vare. And uh, when she was saying goodbye, she knew she would never return to Lourdes, and she was sorry to be leaving it, but uh, still glad that she had uh, taken her vocation in the Vare. But uh, when she was leaving her parents, she fainted here, right in this kitchen, before she said goodbye. The parish church of Lourdes, the Church of the Sacred Heart, stands in the older part of the town, way up on a fairly high hill, above the basilica. And here is the baptismal font in which Bernadette was baptized on the 9th of January, 1844. But although the font is here in this church, this is not in fact the church in which Bernadette was baptized. That is to be found, or was to be found, in a different place, isn't that, that so? Yes, just uh, across the road from the present church, on the site of the war memorial. That's where the old church was at that time. Bernadette used to go to mass there to her parents and family. And when this new church was built, the baptismal font was transferred here. Also in the crypt of this church of the Sacred Heart is the tomb of Monsignor Peramel, who became Bishop of Lourdes. He was the parish priest. Parish priest at the time of the apparitions. Finally, in Lourdes, we went to the Auspice of the Sisters of Charity of Nevers, in which Bernadette spent her last days in Lourdes. We're in the little chapel where Bernadette made her first communion, and with us is Sir Marie-Emmanuel, who will tell us about it. In the glass, there are many souvenirs of Bernadette, uh, the cape of the first communion and rosary when she was sister spoon, handkerchief of the head, stockings, Bible, catechism, Bernadette with the school friends. Here with the Reverend Mother, she eats the last photo before she went to Nevers. She is 22 years old. Letters from Nevers, because when she was here, it was a school and she learned writing, reading, and speak French. A little piece of veil when she was in the coffin. Uh, here, Bernadette uh, pray on the chair and before the statue. And this picture, Bernadette drew. It is a picture of a heart, which was heart. drawn by St. Bernadette. Yes. <laughs> the pre-dieu, which is in front of the altar, that is, in fact, the one that St. Bernadette knelt on. She knelt on that for her first communion. Yes, yes. 
for the First Communion. Uh, this statue overhead the altar um, was here at the time of Bernadette. St. Bernadette used to come here and pray. And she said that even though it wasn't really like Our Lady, that the statue was more like Our Lady than any of the other statues she had seen. In a corridor on the way to the chapel, there's a photograph which, if authentic, is very remarkable. It shows Bernadette kneeling at the grotto, and it's said to have been taken during one of the apparitions of Our Lady. In the village of Bartrez, a mile or two outside Lourdes, we visited the parish church which Bernadette used to attend. It's a very small, simple church, very plain, rather attractive. It's dark, of course, because most of the churches in the south here would be dark. There are, yeah. The light is so bright. Oh, yes. There's no, there's no statue of St. Bernadette here, is there? I no. haven't seen it. No, no, there isn't any. It seems curious. No, you have it just outside the village, you see. You've That's, seen the yeah, We saw that memorial. as we came through. That's up there. But not in the church itself. Not the church. It's a very small village, and therefore it's quite a small church. I don't suppose... Yeah, there's only 200 inhabitants here. Yes. Very small. And the church wouldn't hold very much more than that. From the church, we walked a few hundred yards to the farmhouse where Bernadette lived during her childhood with her foster mother, Marie Aravon. In 1844, Marie Aravon, who was just 20 years old, lost her firstborn child. Going one day to Lourdes, she called for comfort on her friend, Louis Soubirot, whom she found in great distress owing to the sickness of her little child, Bernadette. As Madame Soubirot was unable to nourish Bernadette, Marie Aravon persuaded her to let her take the child to Bartrez. Here Bernadette remained until she was almost two years of age. She went back to live with her mother in Lourdes for some time, but she returned again to Bartrez when she was old enough to help about the house and on the farm. Most of her time in Bartrez was spent looking after flocks of sheep and lambs in the surrounding countryside. Bernadette left Bartrez in January 1858, just three weeks before the first apparition, in order to make her first communion in Lourdes. The combined kitchen-bedroom-living room in the farmhouse is kept just as it was when Bernadette lived there, and in it there are two almost life-size figures sitting by the huge open fireplace, the mother of Marie Aravon and Marie herself, who is holding the baby Bernadette in her lap. We've met here in the farmhouse the granddaughter of Marie Aravon. She speaks no English, but we are going to ask her a few questions nonetheless. Have you ever seen, did you, did you in fact see Marie Aravon? Est-ce que vous avez connu Marie Aravon? Vous l'avez vue? Je l'ai vue, je me rappelle un peu, très peu, quoi. Je me souviens qu'elle me tenait sur ses genoux, c'est tout. She has seen her, but she doesn't remember much of her, because she says she still remembers that uh, she was on her knees when she was a child. She was too young, she's much too young to remember anything of Marie Aravon. Oh, yes, mm. oui. Her family has lived here for how many years? Il y a combien d'années que la, votre famille vit ici? Bien avant de Depuis toujours, depuis toujours. C'est toujours la même maison. Yes. La famille que je succède. Yes, since always, the, the family succeeds. They have all that, this family has always lived here. Oh, yes, always.
Those are the voices of the community of the convent of Saint Gildas, the mother house of the Sisters of Charity of Nevers. And here in this convent, Saint Bernadette spent the 13 years of her religious life, first nursing the six sisters, then as sacristan of the chapel in which her body now lies enshrined. She came to San Gilda in 1866 and died there in 1879 at the age of 36. The shrine in which her body lies is made from gilded bronze and glass. It's lit from above in a manner that is striking without being obtrusively dramatic and there is always beside it one of the sisters of the community. The face and hands of the saint have a thin coating of wax but the body has not been embalmed and the shrine in which it lies is not a vacuum. No natural explanation of its preservation has ever been found. Most surprising, perhaps, and most touching, is Bernadette's tininess. She looks like a very small girl of 14. This and the youth and strange, solemn beauty of her face make the experience of visiting the shrine in Nevers one not easily forgotten. convent museum in Nevers, one can see the chair in which Saint Bernadette died, the crucifix sent to her by Pope Pius IX, the umbrella, brown and bulky with a red knobbed cane handle, the travelling bag and the little chamois leather purse, all of which she took with her on her journey from Lourdes to Nevers. Ordinary, everyday objects which bring the saint curiously close to us. In Lourdes itself, there's another museum devoted to Bernadette, the Musée Notre-Dame de Lourdes, near the Pont Saint-Michel, close to the Grotto Grounds. And this is something which should be seen. In the Museum of Bernadette, looking at the first case we meet on the way in, we see the cross of Monsignor Perimel. There's a page from Bernadette's journal, scapulars, Brodet, embroidered, embroidered by Sister Mary Bernard Soubiot and sent to Nevers, sent from Nevers to her brother Pierre in 1878. There's a letter from her to her brother and a page from her journal. In another case, there are two further letters by St. Bernadette, one to her brother, one to her sister. One to her sister is on white paper. The brown ink is fading, but it's still reasonably legible. The letter to her brother, written on blue paper, has practically faded away. The letter to her brother also is torn and badly stained, but there are copies in French of the contents of each of these letters. The one to her sister begins, My dear Mary, I hasten to give you news of my health. Here I am once again better, having spent three days in bed. This case also contains three pictures of the Sacred Heart, which were painted by St. Bernadette.
in a case in an inner room in the museum, there's a letter of very great interest. It was written by Bernadette at the request of Madame Ribet, and in it, Bernadette gives the words spoken to her by Our Lady during the various apparitions. The notice, notice attached to the letter says that she wrote down the Virgin's words without adding any commentary and wrote them with her usual simplicity. At the moment of writing this letter, Bernadette was with the Sisters of Nevers at the Auspice Municipal, where she remained until her departure for Nevers. Lourdes has, of course, changed very greatly since the time of the apparitions, but in another of the inner rooms of the museum, there's a large model showing Lourdes as it was at the time of the apparitions and showing the path taken by Bernadette on her way down to the grotto. This is a model which is of the very greatest interest and it's well worth seeing. That is the bell of the chapel of Saint Bernadette in the Cité de Secours Saint-Pierre. And the Cité de Secours is something quite new in Lourdes. It is charity in action, an idea brought to life with imagination and a breath of vision which has given its material expression a beauty worthy of the impulse from which it sprang. The Cité de Secours is the work of Monsignor Rodin. Je dois avouer que je n'ai absolument rien inventé. C'est Sainte Bernadette qui toujours a souhaité qu'à Lourdes, il y ait un asile pour accueillir les pauvres gens. Et en 1872, on a inauguré... I must tell you, he says, that I invented nothing. It was always Sainte Bernadette's wish that there should be a shelter in Lourdes for poor pilgrims. In 1872, a first shelter, accommodating 300 people, was built near the grotto, at the request of Bernadette. I have done nothing but continue this idea. But what a magnificent continuation. The Cité de Secours stands high above Lourdes, higher than the Chateau Fort. Looking from it back towards the town, one sees, away to the right, towering distantly, the Pic du Gère, then the parish church, the Chateau Fort, and the Way of the Cross. The buildings of the Cité are placed with skill about its beautiful grounds. There's plenty of open space, plenty of grass and trees, and all the buildings, the pavilions, the office block, the refectory, the reading room and the dormitories are simple and functional in design. Built from natural materials, wood and stone, without added decoration, deriving their beauty from their design. Some of these buildings are completely new. Some have been converted from existing structures. The reading room, for example, was once a stable. Now it's a room of great beauty, retaining just enough of its original appearance to give it character. This is the sort of idea which could go very wrong. Here it has succeeded brilliantly. Miss Plaxel, Monsignor Rodin's secretary, talked to me about the Cité's function and its method of working. Well, Monsignor built this city for the poor. You know, in law there's no place at all for the poor to be, I mean, to sleep in the evening. So we have here poor people who can't afford hotel expenses and who've never been to Lourdes, especially this year, such a crowd to come here. 
So we have here pilgrims coming in for five days and they're lodged and nourished all free. They haven't a penny to pay. Everything is absolutely free. We'll, uh, we have actually nearly 600 beds and we hope to get some more soon. You're continuously adding to the buildings? Oh yes, definitely. How do you accommodate your pilgrims? What sort of accommodation do you provide? Well, they have what we call um, a pavilion. A pavilion. And in these pavilions we have 72 beds. In each we have six bergeries composed of 18 beds. What is a bergerie? Uh, well, it's a translation, it's a sheepfold. Because you know Bernadette was, uh, used to keep Sheep. There are dormitories, are there? Yes, dormitories. The big refectory, which you see here, we have a self-service, and we can accommodate there over 600 people with a meal in about half an hour to go through. Those who wish to be accommodated in the Cité should write to it directly, forwarding a recommendation from the parish priest which testifies that they are unable to afford hotel accommodation. They must also, naturally, pay their own travel costs. The Cité has a permanent staff of 30 during the summer and of 15 during the winter. The rest of the work is done by voluntary helpers who come in groups and remain three or four weeks at a time. There are also, permanently in the Cité, three sisters of the Order of Père de Foucault, and their chapel is one of the most interesting of the buildings. It's designed as a desert chapel, built in stone, with very tiny windows of red and blue glass, a wooden floor, simple, almost primitive seating, goat skins on the walls, and a wooden altar of great simplicity, beside which stands a symbolic tree of life. The tabernacle is in the shape of a desert tent. On a hill above this chapel, there stands the public chapel. This is Chapel of St. Bernadette, which is the exact copy of the sheepfold at Batres, where St. Bernadette used to keep her sheep. As you can see, it's very plain. Uh, we have a real thatch roof on top, hardly any windows. The walls are just uh, stone, stone wall, a very rough stone floor, a big large beam, uh, seating is just plain milk stew. The sacristy is at the back of the altar, the, alt the altar which is very plain as well, just uh, a very rough stone and a stone plank. The chapel, in other words, is of the utmost simplicity and it's been built and everything in it made from the kind of materials which would have been available for the building of the sheepfold at Batres. And on the grassy slope above it, sheep graze, their bells ringing as they did in the days when Bernadette watched them. I asked Monsignor Rodin where the money had come from to build this cité. Quand nous avons commencé, tout le monde a pensé que c'était une folie, une folie. 
de bâtir à Lourdes sans magasin, sans commerce. Nous avons fait confiance et de tous côtés on est venu pour nous aider. De pauvres gens, de pauvres dons, de petits dons qui sont venus apporter une pierre. Quand nous commençons, tout le monde a dit que nous étions quite mad de construire en Lourdes sans inclure des shops ou des commerces de tout genre. Mais nous avons confiance et l'aide est venue à nous de tous les côtés, especially from very poor people who brought us a stone, a brick, 100 francs, 50 francs, and from these little gifts the Cité grew. Now we have half a dozen pavilions and 680 beds. I am not forgetting that we received great encouragement from Ireland in memory of St. Columban. Besides, I was born near Luxai, where there is a great devotion to St. Columban, and in honour of this, and in view of a future pavilion which will be named St. Columban, we have received many gifts from Ireland, and I should like to thank those of your people who have helped us. In this honour, we have received, in future pavilion, which is called St. Columban, many donations from Ireland, and I tiens to thank all those who have helped us. For those who have the time, there is much to be seen in Lourdes that is of great interest. A trip by cable car or funicular railway to the summit of the Pic du Gère or the Pic du Midi brings the reward of a quite magnificent panoramic view of the surrounding countryside. The Chateau Fort should be seen, and of the many other places of interest, museums and displays, one of the most ingenious and accessible is the Crèche Anime, the animated crib which is beside the River Gave and not far from the Pont Vieux. The animated crib is built on a raised platform. It's about 25 feet wide by about 10 to 15 feet deep. We believe there are upwards of 200 figures in it, and that certainly looks like being true. In Almost in the centre is the crib itself. Left and right of it stretches a town, and through this town, there are men and women working in all sorts of ways. A man breaking stone with a pickaxe. It looks a little bit anachronistic. A man scything. A donkey jibbing and refusing to cross a bridge. A man making pottery, another spinning. Then beyond, that's all on the left of the crib facing it. To the right, there's a woman washing clothes in the river and a man working at a lathe, very cleverly animated that particular figure. In the distance, there's a bridge. At the moment, crossing the bridge are wagons drawn by white horses. There's a camel just emerging now to cross the bridge. Cows and sheep are dotted here and there, and in the left background, a mill wheel is turning all the time. A girl is milking a cow near to the mill, and on the water below the bridge, which widens out into a sort of lake, there are a group of ducks swimming. At one side also of this little lake, there's a small boat. The lighting changes constantly. We go from bright daylight through the evening into the night, and as night falls, the moon appears in the sky and the star. In a cave, away at the back of the village, an angel appears. This is certainly 
a work of great ingenuity. We've come closer to look more closely at the crib itself. Our Lady is seated centrally with the infant Jesus on her knee, on her lap, and the figure of the infant moves its arms and legs. The mother bends down to it and then raises her head again. In the background of the crib is the cow to one side and an ass to the other. The three wise men are to our right and shepherds to our left. All move. And the effect is quite realistic and, in its way, quite beautiful. Sightseeing in Lourdes is worthwhile and rewarding, but quite incidental. The essence of Lourdes lies within the domain of the grotto. Here is everything that matters. Here is the end of the journey, the place of fulfilment. Come to Messabiel at any hour of the day or night, and you come to a new world. Just to stand and watch and listen is to be aware that one has stepped from the ebb and flow of common life into an atmosphere unlike any other to be found on the face of the earth. Here the pilgrims drink from the spring, or kneel with arms outstretched. Here desperate hope gives way to great contentment. Here is a place of generous and potent grace. Here miracles are wrought that the world knows not, nor ever sees. And a priest told me, he said, you, he said, sister, you see the miracles and you see the miracles of, of graces in resignation. But we, in our confessionals, we see the miracles and the real miracles of graces every day in souls. The conversions are marvellous, wonderful. rising to the dark sky, to glimpse the changing faces as they pass, young faces and old, rough faces and fine, faces shadowed with sorrow or lit with joy. This is to feel the spirit of Lourdes at its most intense, for though the voices of Lourdes are many, du Père, du Fils et du Saint-Esprit, ainsi soit-il. Je vous salue. Marie, pleine de grâce, le Seigneur est avec vous. Vous êtes bénie entre toutes les femmes, et Jésus, le fruit de vos entrailles, est béni. Sainte Marie, Mère de Dieu, priez pour nos pauvres pécheurs. Maintenant, Père, nous sommes tous les sick. Sainte Bernadette, priez pour nous. We never speak about miracles. This word miracle is not allowed in the medical bureau, you understand that?
dois avouer que je n'ai absolument rien inventé. C'est Sainte Bernadette qui toujours a souhaité qu'à Lourdes, il y ait un asile pour accueillir les pauvres gens. Et en 1872, on a inauguré tout près de la grotte. People come here to be cured, and when they arrive, they say, no, we won't pray for ourselves, we pray for other patients much worse off than us. The voices of Lourdes are many, but the voice of Lourdes is one. You definitely feel Our Lady is here. That's definite. 